0: in three two one bismillah assalamu alaikum guys welcome to the Omarpreneur live podcast where i interview muslim entrepreneurs that are change makers and doing absolutely amazing things in their business and in their professional lives and today i'm honored to bring you dr marwa asar and now dr marwa is a very unique individual and one that really brings something new to the Muslim community and to the world at large. And she is a psycho-spiritual teacher and founder of the Home Institute. And what she does is she focuses on providing spiritual, mental, and emotional transformation that's rooted not only through psychology, but through Islamic teaching and approach through an Islamic psychological lens. And she believes that Islam speaks to our psycho-spiritual system and recognizes the emphasis that Islamic psychology places on the heart and its impact on our entire briefing today. I have the pleasure of speaking with her to discuss this concept, to learn more about it with you, and also to learn more about how she started the Home Institute and you know began this wonderful journey. So thank you for being here. Welcome, Dr. Warma, it's an honor to have you.
1: No, salamu <laughs> alaykum, thank
0: you, you. I'm honored to be here. It's honestly, the pleasure is ours and I'm super excited to dive in. And just like with every single guest, the first question that I always ask that I, that I love to ask personally, it's my favorite, and it's, can you tell us more about what inspired you to, instead of taking the traditional, I mean, you are someone who's a graduate in psychology, and what inspired you to take your own path and carve out you know, your own journey through this, thanks to the Home Institute and the psycho-spiritual wellness approach that you've taken versus the traditional career path? What inspired you to do that?
1: Um. That's a great question. And, you know, it's so complex because <laughs> the journey to to follow anyone's calling, right, is is not linear. And, um, you know, for me, I actually was pre-med for three years and I was on en route to be a medical doctor. And that's what I thought I was supposed to do, you know, and um, every good Arab girl just grows up to be, you know, an engineer or a doctor. So <laughs> um, for me, it was you know really just paying attention to my heart and what was calling me and I honestly like I can't thank anyone but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because I feel like he put it in me for like he put it within my heart for a long time and it was just it just came to a point where I just had to listen and pay attention to it and when I did change my major psychology I received a lot of criticism and at that time you know um I didn't know anyone who was doing Islam and psychology. I didn't know any Muslim mental health professionals. I didn't, like, it wasn't really a thing back then. This was back when there was a bigger stigma about mental health. And so it was, you know, um, it was hard, but I'm telling you, like, my heart just felt it. Like, I just knew that this was my thing. And alhamdulillah, Allah put people on my path that did support me. And um, I think for me, it was when I started really practicing and I started Studying the deen, that's just where the lens of my heart went. It went to how Allah spoke to our psychology. Like, if I was learning tafsir, if I was learning sira, whatever it was, I that's where my heart went. Like, wow, look at how Allah speaks to our emotions here. Look at how Allah speaks to our mental health here. Look how Allah speaks to our value here, our self-worth here. And so that's just where my heart went, you know.
0: That's extremely beautiful. And it, it sounds like you had a calling and you felt it in your heart. Can you mm-hmm. tell us? more about what that feels like? Because there might be listeners here that, you know, are kind of going through the same journey. And they might feel like, yeah. you know, I'm somewhere where I don't necessarily feel like I'm thriving, like I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing. I want to explore that a little bit more with you. So yeah. what did that feel like? And what drove you to be like, okay, you know what, this is something I'm going to pursue full on, right?
1: Yeah. Um, For me, I always have to be connected to what I'm doing. Like, I can't, I was never the type of person that can just do something half-heartedly. Um I I I need to be true to myself in all like in all areas. So when I was doing pre-med, I just felt a complete disconnect from myself. Like mm. I was like a zombie, like just going through the motions. I wasn't doing well in school. I wasn't connected. I liked the aspects of medical school, me, uh, medical, you know, uh, studies but uh, I mean biology at the time, but it wasn't like it wasn't really what was nourishing my heart and that's what i tell people all the time pay attention to what nourishes your heart pay attention to what you're doing that brings life to your heart and makes you feel connected to your purpose and to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that's the thing like we have we have to have the areas of our life feel interconnected like many of us live in compartments where it's like my career is over here this is how i make money my islam is over here and this is my relationship with allah but Everything should be interconnected through Tawheed and through the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we can and this is how the early scholars were and they actually were an inspiration to me. I mean, why why did we have a whole, um, you know, um, the golden age of Islam where scholars contributed to all these, you know, sciences? What were they motivated by? Allah, la ilaha illallah, and they were motivated by tawheed. And so this is what drove them to learn more about science. This is what drove them to learn more about, you know, psychology even, you know, and we have early scholars who contributed to the world of psychology. So I was very much like, I want to do something that connects me to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but it was also paying attention to what brought me to life. It was paying attention to how I can serve in this world, because I truly believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives everybody something. You know, he doesn't he gives everybody their share of strengths and challenges. And for for our goal is not just to serve our purpose, this, like um, our ultimate purpose, you know, our spiritual purpose, but also to look at like what did Allah put in me uniquely that can allow me to serve his world and bring goodness to the world? And that's something we have to ask. And a lot of people, what they do is. We start off by saying, you know, what should I do? What should I do? What should I, you know, what job should I have? What career should I have? What degree should I get? And I always say, don't ask those questions. It's not, the degree is the means. It's not what you arrive at. It's the question we should be asking is how can I serve? What did Allah put in me that can allow me to serve? And, um, And, you know, what are the problems in the world that I can be a good fit in helping to serve or contribute to?
0: That, that's very well said. And I think I couldn't agree more with that. And MashaAllah, you speak so eloquently when you describe that. So it shows you have experience in it. Now I wanted to ask you with what you do psycho spirituality it's a term that i personally haven't heard until mm-hmm. i actually learned about what you do and mm-hmm. the work that i do with the home institute mashallah so i want to dive into that because there might be others as well just like me who don't know what that means unless yeah. i'm not even sure is this is a term that you came up with yourself or was this already <laughs> okay so tell <laughs> no, me more about that i guess okay. i guess if, if you're not okay, in that world more yeah okay yes. so tell me yeah. more about that what, um, what does that mean
1: It's basically just the two words, psychology and spirituality. It's the integration of bringing psychology and spirituality. And it is fairly a newer term in the Western psychology world, uh, you know, when you look at the entire timeline of psychology in the Western world, um, because there wasn't really much of an integration with spirituality and psychology. I mean, you know, early on in the history of psychology in the West, it was all about your biology, your mind, your brain, you know, and it was within the last couple of decades that they realized the power of spirituality, and that's what led also to the research that I did because you know religion and spirituality now is becoming more integrated into psychology and they see the benefits of that so it's really the integration of bringing those two worlds and of course spirituality when I say psycho-spirituality it's rooted of course in Islamic teachings and what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taught us
0: yeah and why did you feel why did you feel like combining those two worlds Islam and our deen with the world of psychology like Combining those two worlds was important for you. Why did you feel like those two worlds needed to be blended together?
1: Yeah, um, that's a great question. I mean, I think for me it was. So I always say that my journey started off as both a personal one and then that led to more of a professional one. So for me, it was as I was studying Islam, I'm very like I turn inward a lot and that's just the way that I'm programmed like I always try to figure out things for myself internally and I remember when I was studying Islam when I would be in the community spaces and especially because you know I started really practicing at the age of 17 and so then I was like immersed more immersed into like you know being in the Muslim community and um, I felt like there were just some things missing for me like I didn't have any information how to navigate myself and so a lot of times when i would read like you know scholarly books or go to classes and i would never hear anyone really tell me like how how can i have a relationship with myself that's rooted again i'm always looking for the interconnectedness right i want to do something but i want to bring it back to allah so somebody teach me how can i have a relationship with myself that brings me back to allah and i wasn't getting that so even then when i would look up like um you know, uh, the taming of the nafs or working on ourselves, it was always in the context of purify your heart, purify your heart, purify your heart, or even self-compassion. I used to be a very self-critical person, you know, always just very crit- you know, critical of myself. And I wanted to kind of get some, you know, understanding of how, okay, when I would learn about compassion towards others and mercy towards others, I always would think like, does Allah want me to be merciful with myself? And then i would and then i wouldn't find anybody teaching me that you know, you know so it was just it was just about kind of looking at what's missing and that bridge needs to be there because there are many people who struggle with navigating their relationship with themselves and bringing it back to allah so for me i just started with these questions and then studying islam alongside studying psychology i it's definitely integrated especially when you can't just for example I don't believe that you can just tell somebody to pray on something. And this now, when I started working with people, I realized that it was so there was a huge gap in the Muslim community and the way we understood, like, um, you know, mental health or wellness. So it's like I'm telling you, like religions over here and then my 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 wellness is over here. And for me, it was like, that's a problem that right Mm -hmm. there is a problem. How can I bridge that gap?
0: Yeah. So it has to be more of a holistic approach. And you feel like that's lacking right now in, in the way we currently approach the deen.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I understand. You know, which is like rooted in statements like just pray or just increase your acts of worship or and then you'll be fine. But I also disagree with the other end and may- maybe some people will disagree with this, too. But I also am not a fan of people saying just do mental health it has nothing to do with your spirituality. Mm-hmm. No, everything is interconnected. And I, I believe that in efforts to stay away from the stigma of like, you know, we 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 have a stigma in the Muslim community because we utilize the deen to define people's mental health issues, right?
0: Yeah. But I
1: think in efforts to get away from that, we went on the opposite extreme where we tell people, like where we're not really showing people the connection between their mental health and also their spirituality, because everything's connected. It doesn't mean that you're a bad Muslim because you're struggling. But there are things that are beneficial to you within the, within the faith.
0: 100%. I completely agree. And I, I'm curious, just kind of a side note, because you mentioned purification of the heart and mm-hmm. uh, a few terms that you know I, I'm familiar with. And I, I want to know, in your work, have you do you pull anything from the teachings of uh, Imam Al Ghazali? I'm curious about that. Oh my God! Of course. I, like okay.
1: yeah, I started reading Imam Ghazali's book before I even started studying psychology. So he's like on the top of my list. I mean, he he's one of the forefront scholars that spoke to our psychology, you know, and he has, you know, Uh, works that discuss like the psychology of even monotheism and Mm -hmm. how to you know the different layers of the self and yeah so absolutely you know i definitely and when i did my research i i had to highlight these early scholars that contributed to the world of psychology that western psychology don't give credit to but yet you know like for example you wouldn't have the renaissance period without these early muslim scholars yeah it was like early muslim scholars like al-Razi and Imam al-Ghazali that actually changed the way the European Christian world viewed psychology and we don't know this you know so these are things that are very important to me
0: 100% and I mean when you read uh, books and you learn uh, about Imam al-Ghazali such as purification of the heart and Mm -hmm. you read these works of his there are always aspects of how to develop a certain character and how to approach the deen from a way not only that is practice Mm -hmm. but for example the action of prayer what is the underlying meaning behind it? And how yeah. should we think of prayer when we approach it? What, is, what should be our mental state as we approach this act? Yeah. And so it, it's interesting they mention that because this, this is something that has been in our dean before, but it's just, yeah. I feel like as time has went on, this aspect has slowly kind of faded away. And what you're doing with the Home Institute is you're trying to bring that back in a way yeah. that people can digest in today's terms, which I think is important. Yeah. and that's why it's so needed and Mm -hmm. so I want to ask you about the home institute a little bit which is when you work with someone when you kind of you know take someone through courses or programs that you have when and you help a lot of students a lot of people make these positive transformations what is what is kind of like the bird's eye view of that process how do you take someone from somewhere where they might be struggling personally spiritually and you know take them through a process where they can then achieve that transformation i don't know i don't want you to give me the you know all your secrets but can i get a (laughs) bird's eye view on that process no
1: no i get what you're saying um i think for me i i'm an empath so like i i'm very like adept at putting myself in somebody's shoes and imagining what that would feel like and taking myself through that process and that's what i do when i create any course or program because like for example the god in me program it's literally a step-by-step and i and i did it in a way where if it was me going through that journey what would i need every step of the way to get mm-hmm. to where i need to be um so i utilize this my education of psychology and also just just putting myself in other people's shoes and thinking of the heart that I'm serving in that moment. You know, like, what do I want to give them now? What do I want to give this heart now? What do I want to give this heart at this stage? So, you know, it's just thinking of every stage of the way and what I want them to feel and what I want them to experience, you know? So it's, that's, that's really the essence of being heart-centered is the priority is the other person's heart, not just their mind. Like, you know, many of us are just, you know, even in, in our world. And part of the reason why I started the Home Institute is because I realize it's not a lack of information that we struggle with in our world. You have access to information at the tip of your, you know, fingers. You just go Google, shift Google, and search anything, right? But it's what? Why are people still struggling? Why are people, um, why why are people walking around with all this knowledge, being woke, and having all this information, right? But then the heart is empty. The heart is numb. The heart doesn't feel. Um, and I think it's because again there's not there isn't that connection there's a gap between what the mind knows and what the heart experiences and this is a big problem especially with you know technology and social media it's like every day you're absorbing 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 but what do what does the heart really feel at the end of the day and when you go to bed like do you go to bed with a heart that's nourished do you feel content do you feel sakina do you feel peace right and so for me it's like okay how do i bridge that gap when i teach courses i want to bridge that gap i and i tell students all the time like you know This isn't a program where it's just about you having information because my teacher used to always say information doesn't become knowledge until it reaches the heart. And that is so true because beautiful. Yeah, because it, you, a lot of us have information, but to have knowledge, your heart has to have a connection. So when I create courses and programs, my question is, how can I get that heart to connect to that knowledge? And I do this through video lessons, through readings, through exercises that they have to do. It has to translate into application. It has to, because that's the only way that the heart can taste the sweetness of that information, you know
0: yeah definitely and i think that's a beautiful way to to, to kind of explain it which is that that statement that you said of information does become knowledge until it touches our oh, that's that's something that i'm going to take away from this and i'm going to i'm going to keep to myself and it's beautiful i want to ask you what is a way for us you know to actually make help build that bridge help build that connection is there a small habit that we can implement is there something in our lives just a small mm-hmm. change that we can make that could help us get closer to that
1: Yeah, I think number one is prioritizing your heart, realizing that this part within you is the most important, most noble, most powerful part within you. Like, you know, this is a a big part of my work. So the Home Institute is named after my heart over mind and ego approach, which is stands for home. And that is actually an approach that I developed because to teach people about their internal world, because I believe it's not enough to just say to people, purify your heart okay, how, how, do, how do I start? Where do I, what do I do? You know what I mean? It's like people need to understand what they're working with. What, does, what is the purpose of the mind? What is the purpose of the ego? What is the purpose of emotions? What is the purpose of the heart? So when I teach this approach, the first thing is teaching them the power of the heart, mm-hmm. that even in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks to the power of this heart, that this heart within you has an intelligence that the rational mind does not have, right? Yeah you can, you, can un- you look at something and logically understand it but the heart is what derives meaning from the world this is what happens when people go through tests right i don't get it i don't rationally understand it i can't comprehend it but the heart that is a priority and to lead it's going to connect to that meaning it's going to see something that the heart that the mind cannot see so it's teaching people first that your heart is your number one responsibility. Just as you would hold like a, a baby and you you're so careful, you're so fragile, like, you know, you know how fragile is that's your heart, because the heart comes from the kalib comes from, you know, the word mukallib, which is something that flips, right? So many of us don't treat the heart like this. And the Western world doesn't teach you to treat the heart like this, it teaches you that your heart is like this frivolous thing, right? It's like the mind is the better part of you, that the heart is just like this weak weakling within you right so it's telling people that that's your biggest responsibility so already i've directed your energy to realize that there's something within you that requires your utmost care right and that's what becomes your priority when your energy goes to something that's what you pay attention to when you go through experiences so when you're doing something check in How, how does my heart feel after you completed a prayer, how does my heart feel? Before you pray, where's your heart directed to? Um, when you're in a conversation, are you present or is your mind off in the future, off in the past, thinking about you know, what's the next step, what, how you're gonna respond or is your heart present with that person? So it's these little moments. See, we underestimate these little moments that really bring your heart to life. And a lot of times we want big things. It's not the big things, it's the little moments. It's how you are present with your heart In a conversation when you're standing with allah when you're doing a task so one of the things that i teach in the godami program a key step of the program is called intend to ascend right meaning like um that it's, it's about intentions and increasing your intentions daily for any little thing so and i say ascend because Intentions, we know in the psychology world, they have a power. They have a benefit. Um, even Oprah talks about the power of intentions. When Oprah talks about something, you know that it's like meaningful to a lot of people. <laughs> so she talks about the power of intentions. Now, if people right experience a power to intentions on one level. And they're not even doing it for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They're not even doing it for the creator, but they feel a power in just setting an intention for your action. Imagine then the power we will feel as Muslims when we set an intention for Allah subhanahu wa Mm ta'ala. That intention that had an initial value now becomes elevated. The value becomes elevated. When you set intention, you're literally Mm -hmm. connecting your heart to what you're about to do. Because you have to turn inward, you know. 100%.
0: 100%. And just to give a quick example of that, for example, like when I go to the gym, which unfortunately I haven't been able to, thanks to uh, the pandemic, but hopefully we'll be back soon, inshallah. But there's two ways to go about it. I can either go and do my workout and get on, and be like, all right, I did my workout, or I can. Going yeah. and be like, all right, my intention here is number one to take care of this body, this amount that God has given me. Yeah. And to also, you know, build and, and retain my energy so I can serve others in a better way and serve my family, mm-hmm. my loved ones in a better way and at a at a higher level. Yeah. And just have more energy for my Ibadas and my prayers when I approach them. And so just setting just setting that intention and going to the gym versus just be like, I'm going to the gym, like how many benefits and Hassanet are you getting just from you know having that as your intention and it's the same exact act and you're spending the same amount of time doing it so why not reap those benefits why not see how can I you know approach this at a higher level and Mm -hmm. and maybe get more out of it squeeze more juice and I think that's really something that's extremely powerful it's an amazing yeah, concept so
1: absolutely yeah and I think we like you said you're going to be doing the same thing so it's amazing how you could do something mindlessly or you yeah. could do something and actually feel so connected to Allah and connected to every like when you connect something to Allah he connects you to its benefit too, more of its benefit yeah,
0: yeah definitely and he, he He puts barakah in it which is something yeah. that's hard to describe but you'll experience it when you know it yeah
1: exactly. and
0: um, I, I, sh- I, want, I want you to share something with us uh, Dr. Merlin it's can you, can you tell us a story of maybe an experience you had with a client, with someone that you've worked with mm-hmm. that was memorable to you, that the transformation that they had impacted you in some way or impacted mm-hmm. them in a very profound way, and it's worth sharing. Is there anything that you can recall they can share with us that 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 kind of reminds mm-hmm. you? or?
1: So I, it's hard to <laughs> <think>. <laughs> um, Okay, give me a second. Let me think. Take your
0: time. Take your time.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean... I think that it's just there's I I don't there's so many like moments that I've had where people changed things that they thought they weren't gonna be able to change, you know? Um I, I worked with um, a student who did the God in Me program. And she, when she had started, she was on a very high dosage of anxiety medication. Okay. And this isn't therapy. My program is in therapy. I always, uh, this isn't a psycho spiritual educational program. I don't offer therapy, not yet, through the Home Institute. Um, but she was doing therapy alongside, which I always recommend, especially if people have you know, other issues that they're going through. But she said that by the end of the God of me program, she was able to lower her dosage of anxiety significantly. Wow. And, and it's because of these benefits of just learning also psychological wellness topics, but that are rooted in your relationship with Allah. And I remember for me, like, honestly, when she told me that, like, it, it did make me tear up because it was just so, it's so nice. It's always nice to see people transform. But I think it was about the fact that, she was able to see the power in that on a daily basis. How just in any moment, we all have the opportunity to connect to Allah. To realize that he's in control these are things that again we might know it up here but you kind of have to like know it here you know and so um you know it was just that was powerful for me also it's powerful when people tell me that they no longer care about the opinions of other people that before they were consumed by what this person say and how am i going to react to that person and you know and for them to say that you know i i now feel that um because i prioritize allah and myself because it's about transforming also your relationship with yourself that you 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 take your power back so you you stop giving your power to so many things and people that don't deserve it you know and so those are there's so just so many they're all empowering you know that's
0: beautiful to hear and and it's amazing to see mashallah the actual real world real world impact mm-hmm. that you're having and your institute is having on Uh, The people that you work with, mashallah. And it's just a testament to your knowledge and your expertise and the journey that you've been through that you're now bringing to others as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to ask you something about what you mentioned a little bit earlier about the heart and Mm -hmm. the connection of the heart with the mind. And it kind of brought up and uh, it reminded me of a concept that we have in Islam, which is that the heart is essentially uh, a mirror. And i think there's a verse in the quran that even describes the heart as uh i forget the arabic words but it was like a, a made of glass essentially yeah. right and if it's like a, a light and in surrounding that light there's it, it's made of glass and yeah. if that gla- if you're if it's full of sin if it's dark and it's disconnected with allah then that mm-hmm. glass is completely black right there's it's just completely black and that light that you have cannot shine through it cannot mm-hmm be exposed and only when you clean your heart you're just like you're cleaning the glass off of a light bulb for example mm-hmm. only when you clean the glass can the light finally shine through and be exposed yeah. and so it's interesting when you mention the heart and you mention these concepts and it's like, wow, yeah, it is part of Islam. And it is, you know, there's, yeah. verse, there's mm-hmm. verses that talk about that and there's hadiths that talk about that. And so we don't think about these things. We, we kind of just glance over and be like, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. that's an interesting concept and we move on. But mm-hmm. when you dive deep into it, everything really is there in Islam if you look deep enough and yeah. and it's available to you and you can bring it out. So when you teach your students, when you work with, um, you know, people or with clients sorry and you have these programs do you relate them back to certain verses do you link them back to certain hadith and then also certain works that are present in psychology today and how do you kind of blend these two concepts together
1: yeah so you know like i said early on it was that that's just where my heart went right like if i was Mm -hmm. reading I would bring it back to something in psychology. And I was also immersing myself in the self-help and psychology world. And whenever I would learn something that was powerful, I'd bring it back and root it in a Hadith or Quran or something from the early scholarly works. So for me, like, you know, I work two ways. I I'm trying to show Islam through a psychological lens because that can help people connect mentally and emotionally to the teachings of Islam. And that's what we need. We need people to be connected to Islam, not just to be doing it mindlessly. But on the other end, I'm looking at how can I look at psychology from the Western perspective through an Islamic lens? So when we learn about things like authenticity and self-love, I don't want people to just adopt the meaning of it the way that it's taught in the Western world because that can bring harm For example, my sacred self-love course, when I first taught it, people were like, they they thought people were a little bit because self-love is such a cringe like it's like what is that you know <laughs> um yeah. you think it's like i'm i'm a, I'm a hippie like out and you know like well, it's I don't, a
0: growing concept now i mean i'm seeing it yeah. all over to be honest with you
1: yeah but when yeah. i started teaching it i it was very cringeworthy at the time and i remember when i started teaching i had even scholar come up to me and say that he didn't under he thought it was cringy too and i had somebody come up to me a leader in the community come up to me and tell me to t- tweak the wording not use self-love so it was at a time when it wasn't really known uh, or wasn't really like practiced as much you know so but i remember you know feeling like and i understood why my point is i understood why because in the western self-help world how is self-love taught me 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 right you mm-hmm. do you like it's like you know there's no it's it's me i'm the destination not allah so for me i noticed the 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 power in bridging these two worlds but yes in the quran there's there are the verses that I use that speak to, you know, the heart is... First of all, the hadith, where well, there's a hadith of the Rasul Alaihi about how, you know, that there's a piece uh, of flesh in your body, if it's if it's corrected, that your whole body correct, like everything else is corrected. I'm paraphrasing, so I don't, I, I don't want to, you know. Um, but yeah, so there's that. But there's also in the Qur'an, when Allah talks about intelligence, understanding, pers- like uh, the ability to see, right? Allah refers to the heart at times. For example, the verse that says, it's not the eyes that are blind, but the hearts that are within the chest, right? So so what is what does this mean? That the heart has the ability to see? Yes, you have you have a physical eye, but you also have a spiritual eye. Your physical eye can see things, you can see what is displeasing to Allah become popular, right? But the heart sees no, it doesn't matter if it's popular, only it's it's still it's still displeasing to Allah, right? So the heart can see something regardless of how logical and rational people make something displeasing to Allah seem, right? On the other end, when it comes to intelligence and and perception that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala associates understanding with with the heart there are verses in the Quran that associate understanding do they uh, do they have locks upon their hearts oh, wait something about like do they have locks upon their hearts do they understand or do they have locks upon their hearts? Something similar with like understanding and having locks upon your heart. So there's many verses. um, I have a list of them, but I just don't want to like mess up the the wording. (laughs) But there is like, you know, an association between understanding and the heart. And this is something that Western psychology doesn't teach you. It's that, you know, it's always intelligence is what? How much information you have, how your mind, right? But the heart does have intelligence. And when you... Um, go through things in life, you need to access that intelligence because you're never going to understand everything based on what your mind absorbs.
0: Yeah, 100%. And Mm -hmm. with what you're saying, it kind of reminds me of something because I have to talk about it. As entrepreneurs, we have kind of like this conflicting information when it comes to spirituality and psychology. And it's this information where And and I want to, I'm actually, this is more of a question for myself. And if someone's listening, that's resonating with this, then then that's that's awesome. I hope so. But as entrepreneurs, we have this teaching of self-affirmations and of positive psychology and positive visualization Mm -hmm. and this concept of, basically training the mind uh, through repetition and through visualization, like creating vision boards and Mm -hmm. things of of a positive nature to be optimistic and really ingrain that vision of what you want to build and the future of your business and maybe even your personal life. Mm -hmm. Now, my question is, sometimes I feel like saying I am successful or I am rich. You know, that in, in in Islam, it might be frowned upon. Like, why are you saying you're rich? And you know, it's, like, it's like, how do you bring these two? Because I don't think they need to conflict. I don't think both worlds need to be conflicting. I think we can blend them in, in, in just okay. But my question to you, because you're an expert on this, is do you think there is kind of a, a connection between these two? Or is that just a completely foreign concept outside mm-hmm. of Islam? And it's not necessarily something that we can relate back to it the concept of self affirmation of of positive visual, visualization
1: Mm -hmm. No, I think that, I think these things are rooted in Islamic teachings because, you know, first of all, visualization, think about what is visualization, right? It's like imagining your goal, your purpose, right? Imagining where you're headed and and letting that image be so clear in your heart that you naturally are just working towards it, right? Because Mm -hmm. when your mind is really connected to something, your heart is also connected to something, you're more likely to achieve that goal. And that's what the psychology of visualization is, right? But think about just even like, what is our ultimate goal? As Muslims, Jannah, right? Yeah. Think about in the Quran how much de- how many details of Jannah, imagery-wise, imagery details of Jannah that Allah gives us, right? The color, what you're gonna get. Why does Allah do that? Why does Allah give us such details? He wants us to to imagine. He wants us to imagine our ultimate goal. Imagine think about one of the things i do with students is i tell them you know sit and reflect on these verses and think just imagine yourself meeting allah imagine yourself walking into jannah imagine these descriptions because why because allah wants us to practice visualization i believe that because the more you imagine that the more you imagine you meeting allah on the day of judgment the more you imagine allah bringing you close and and talking to you the more you imagine you seeing allah the more you imagine you seeing the prophet in jannah you you being there you know these things just naturally you'll find yourself just connected to that world and you'll find yourself doing the actions that promote you getting to that visualization, right? Mm-hmm. That's just the power of our mind, the power of our heart and Allah knows best. He created us, right? So, you know, it. it's the same with other things. Like you, whatever you want to achieve, the more that you imagine it, the more you're going to be working towards it. So there's nothing about that. That's not Islamic. There's nothing about that, that as long, I would say, just as long as the, you're, A person is bridging what they are striving towards to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just as you mentioned, like even with working out, something as simple as that. But even when you are trying to, you know, um, have wealth, right? Like find a way to bring it back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I always say to, you know, to people, for example, like when I work with students on intentions and a student says, well, I just want a job, you know, like Mm -hmm. how can I bring that? Isn't that worldly? And I'm like, that's the thing. Like you can, you can... Take something out of the realm of just being worldly and now elevate it and bring it into where it fits both your worlds. Right. And so I always give the example of Abu Bakr and how wealthy he was. And without his wealth, he like, I mean, Allah used him to serve, you know, Muslims at the time and serve the cause of Islam. And he was a strong, powerful, influential Muslim, you know, and does' Does Allah know that the, like does like of course we all know that wealth makes you able to have more benefit. That's just the world we live in and Allah knows the world we are created in. So there's a difference between I want to be rich for me, And I want to be rich, Ya Allah, to make me strong, be an influential Muslim, be able to serve others, be able to provide goodness to the world, to have the ability to give charity. These are all beautiful things. So try, I think it's about bridging your intention and not keeping it on a surface level. Go deeper, you know, and bring it Mm -hmm. rooted in your relationship with Allah.
0: That's beautifully said. And I think that's really where you can kind of blend both worlds. And it's not Mm -hmm. only these affirmations and this visualization where you want to achieve something worldly, but it's also how can you then provide a deeper meaning to that right and how can you then consequently what is the purpose of of achieving that what 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 are you going to do if you achieve that goal and I think uh an interesting actually something while you were talking that came into my mind is uh Mm -hmm. in regards to affirmations right and and uh, with the world of uh the Oprah uh style of spirituality Mm -hmm. of you know waking up every morning and looking in the mirror and saying I am confident 100 times to build up confidence um I think There is a bit of root to that in Islam, and I'll tell you why. I think Mm -hmm. think about tasbih, right? And how, for example, we want to say a hundred times every day, La ilaha illallah, subhanallah, alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar. And what is that teaching us? I think that is really reinforcing Tawheed within our hearts of repeating La ilaha illallah a hundred times every single day is Mm -hmm. kind of like even if you don't necessarily feel it in your heart right now, but you repeat that a hundred times every single day and eventually it's going to pierce through and it's going to get there. And I think, you know, it's interesting because this concept of reputation is there, it's, it's present in Islam. And so there is, there is some truth to it, right? There is some meaning to it.
1: Absolutely. And I teach affirmations, you know, in my work and my programs and I do guided meditations. And so even like when it comes to feeling worthy, like the brain needs to be rewired and many people you know, we don't understand how, like, how the brain, like the brain, it's like, it's about giving it new messages, you know, Mm -hmm. the more you give it new messages, the more you actually rewire your thinking patterns and your, um, how you act upon those thinking patterns. And so, yeah, like one of the things, if I teach a concept, for example, about worth, right, I teach affirmations that go with that. So like how they can feel more worthy and enough through Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for example, an affirmation that I teach is, you know, like, um, i am sufficed by allah subhanahu wa ta'ala i am enough being allah's servant i am enough being a muslim i'm enough you know that i'm you know worshipping allah that i am striving to do this and this and this so these are things that like the more for a lot of people they don't understand that concept of being worthy you know, of being enough, of being like, you know, so yeah, you, you, I don't see anything that conflicts with Islam, with sending yourself positive messages that allows you to be a stronger, um, healthier, you know, and influential human being in the world. And also in Islam, we're not really, uh, we're not allowed to, um, be harmful to ourselves and call ourselves like you know anything negative. You know we are the creation of Allah too, and yeah. we're not just as you are supposed to be merciful towards. Just as you would uplift another, and this is part of like what I teach too is that, you know, a lot of times when you're teach the when you're taught the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa taala, what is what are, what are we what do people usually say? Okay, practice them with other people. It's like right away we're taught to be like. Okay, Allah al-Wadud, the most loving. Okay, how can I be loving to others? Allah rahman rahim the most compassionate, most merciful. How can I be that with others? We never pause to think, how can I be that with myself? So that I can internalize it and feel the beauty of that and then be able to give it to others. And that's really important is that, you know, do we affirm these truths that Allah taught us to ourselves? And I think that's what affirmations are. The more you affirm truths, the more that you, you know, um, the more that you live by them. And just a final example, you know, we have many supplications that were taught through the Quran and Sunnah that affirm who we are, right? And, you know. And this is part of, like, remembering your truths. Not just the truths that Allah taught you, but the truths about yourself that are pure, that are good, that are going to promote you to grow. Um, and so, like, even the, the Rasul Wasallam, when he would wake up for tahajjud, what is the du'a that he used to make? He used to make a du'a where he would list all the things that are true. Ya Allah, you are the truth. Your book is true. Your angels are true, right? Your advanna is true, you know. All of these things. Why? Reiterating, like, Truth and so affirmations for me are rooting ourselves in what is true, so that we don't live by the false beliefs that we have about ourselves.
0: Mm. And I think that's really where you've like uh, you, you've stricken the most powerful point, which is a lot of times because of what we experience in life and we might go through challenges, we might face failures, we then adopt beliefs that are not true of ourselves, like "I am a failure" and I i am not good at this and i am not good at that and i think the word of uh, the the, uh, the word i am is a little bit dangerous it's mm-hmm. it's beneficial and it's dangerous at the same yeah. time and i'll tell you why because it's beneficial because you can use that to empower yourself as you're mentioning right now and mm-hmm. and what are the truths about myself that i can express and that i can repeat to myself and believe but it's also dangerous because for example someone could say i am a failure or i am not good at right. this i am not good at that and then they adopt that as a reality when it doesn't necessarily mean that it's true, right? Someone right. could say I'm bad at math, but it just means that they failed at math a few times and now they just, they've adopted this this as a reality. And so they, they make it a reality in their lives, right? right. I'm not good at relationships. And so then they just accept that mm-hmm. they're not good and they never try to be good. Yeah. So it's, it's both beneficial and it's dangerous. And I think Absolutely. it's important for us to realize or recognize mm-hmm. how are we using those words? I am, how do we, implement this truth in our lives. I think it's extremely important. And it's a beautiful point that you bring up. And no, um, yeah, go ahead, please. I want to give you the floor. I, I,
1: you, you just reminded me of, um, yeah. of even like, because um, you were asking about like, is this rooted in the deen? And you reminded me of um, the hadith where, uh, Sayyidina Omar عنه, was sitting with the Prophet وسلم, and he was sitting in so close to the Rasul and he turns to him and he says, Ya Rasulullah I love you more than anything except my own self. <laughs> And I want you to think about this, right? Like we're talking about is affirmations rooted in Islam? Is loving ourselves rooted in Islam? Here is the span in a public gathering because it was actually narrated by a companion. It wasn't it it wasn't just Omar and the Rasul by themselves. No, it was they were in a gathering, and you know, he in front of everyone tells the Rasul, I love you more than anything except myself. How many of us would feel comfortable telling our parent or anyone that we love ourselves, yet alone the Rasul Sallallahu in a gathering, right? Like yeah. it's unthinkable. And that's really what provided me a, a big basis to like teaching about self-love and the work is the work they do is because like it's there. I think that we've disconnected it. They I actually believe that, you know, when you study the seerah and the companions, they were so connected to themselves. They knew who they were they appreciated their personality. Why do we even have nicknames? Like, why do we have kunyas? Why is um, you know, Khalid ibn al-Walid called Saifullah? And why were they given uh, nicknames that brought out their strengths? Because Hmm. that's an affirmation in itself, right? Is that you look for the strength in yourself and other people and you own that. And Omar, who knew that he wasn't like Abu Bakr, Abu Bakr was more soft-spoken. Omar was not. But he knew that and he owned that. But the point is, is that when he was in the presence of the Prophet, did the Prophet tell him, oh my gosh, Omar, like you're so arrogant, like calm down, you know, don't say that you love yourself. No, he just corrected it. He said, by the one whose hand my soul is in, you um you do not have faith until you love um me more than you love yourself yeah. so he just aligned his love but he didn't if if it was wrong for uh, for Omar to say that he loved himself their Rasul would have corrected it because um by default the prophets have to correct something that happens in their presence that isn't right you know
0: yeah 100% i completely agree and you really bring up a, a powerful I, essentially a powerful point that Whatever we do discuss, we can mm-hmm. find the root of it in Islam if yeah. we look hard enough. And the truth yeah. is, is that when the Prophet ﷺ came to us and, and came to us with the Qur'an as a revelation, he and, and then the revelation has been completed, he said, uh, and again, I'm paraphrasing, he said in Arabic, right? Mm-hmm. I have completed your deen for you. And so yeah. what, what what does that mean? It means that it's a holistic approach and it really fulfills all aspects of life that you needed to fulfill. And Absolutely. the reason why Islam and the Prophet Muhammad was the last prophet to be sent to mankind is because he came with the final message. And this final message is applicable to you no matter in what time you live in, no matter what age you live in. Yeah. And all you have to do is look deep enough. And the problem is not whether it's present in Islam or not. The problem right now is whether we are recognizing that and then bringing it out in, in a way that people can understand in, in yeah. today's age because there's just so much information out there. And Absolutely. so how can we then bring Islam to people in a way where they we can still show that, look, this is relevant, even though you might think it's not. And this is why. And I'll put it in terms that you can understand. And I yeah. think the Home Institute, what you're doing and why it's so powerful and why I want to support it is because that's what you're trying to achieve. And I think it's an extremely powerful project mm-hmm. and mission. And inshallah, may Allah grant you barakah in everything Thank you do so and in this mission, honestly. And. There's a few questions now that are kind of waiting in the comments that we're gonna dive into uh, very, very soon. But before we dive into them, there's a question that I like to ask every single one of my guests that come on the show. And it's, if you could meet Marwa from the college days when she was in pre-med, right? (laughs) Before she went to psychology and followed her (laughs) calling and you could tell her one thing, you could tell her one thing. I
1: love
0: this Um. (laughs) question. What would that be?
1: Oh, my gosh, I would tell her so much. <laughs> <One> <laughs> You're limited thing. to one thing. I would like sit her down for like a lecture. <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. Oh, God, so much. Um, so much like from just owning who you are, you know, and, and not letting people's opinions get to you from um, speak up for yourself you know like you know let your like you know for a long time one of the things I struggled with is just like holding on to my work and being scared to like share it and being scared to I held on for a long time and I think it served its purpose you know alhamdulillah I was able to spend a lot of time internalizing my work first and and that helped make it more beneficial to others alhamdulillah but there was a part of that you know people always say like you know that it's the fear of failure that keeps people back. For me, it was the fear of success. It was the fear of actually sharing my work. And 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 so for a while I played small, you know, have you heard of that concept where like, you know, you, you play small because you don't want to like intimidate anyone. You don't want to like, um, you know, it just, there's a lot of fears that go into that, you know? And, um, and for me, I would just tell her like, own what Allah gave you and use it and don't ever ask anyone for permission to use it, you know, because Allah is the one who gave it to you. You don't need to ask the people for permission to share anything that Allah gave you.
0: That's beautiful. And I think for someone that might be in that stage in their lives, they Mm -hmm. can relate to that. And that's why I want to, I love asking that question is because I think a lot of people are in those stages and these words can be very powerful to them and they could be the catalyst for change that they'd need to hear. And that's what I hope to achieve on this podcast. Thanks to yourself, and all the amazing guests that come on the show. Thank you so much. And so we're going to dive into some audience Q&A, guys. So go ahead and drop your questions. We already have a few lined up, but we'll have a few questions right now for Dr. Marwa to answer, inshallah. And so you can get her personal expertise and knowledge and answers to you right now. So let's dive into the first one. And it's from Sister Faye, who is one of our regular uh, viewers. So thank you for that, sister. It's always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. And she says, at this point of your life, Dr. Marwa, if you could give us quick advice in terms of our Dean and polishing our faith, what would it be and why? I know we talked about about it a little bit, but let's just give her mm-hmm. a few tips here.
1: So one of the, one of the most common uh, concepts that I teach in my work is cultivate a heart that walks towards Allah in all your conditions. Mm. Um, you know, part of the heart over mind and ego approach is that, you know, a lot of times when we have emotions, we make that the destination. Like you halt there and you 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 don't let that become the means to walking towards Allah. When we go through difficulty, we halt. If I can't understand something, I halt. I can't walk to Allah until I understand something. So it's about really cultivating and building the muscle. And this takes work. And this is a thing like... Your spirituality takes work. (laughs) It takes work just as you, you wouldn't expect to have a fit body by just like sitting at home you or, you know, or just not doing anything or you have to put the work and yeah, when you start working out, your muscles get sore, you know why? Because you're working out a muscle that hasn't been worked out. And do we stop working out when our muscles get sore? No. And so spirituality requires your work. It requires your patience, but it requires a mindset and a heart set that walks towards Allah in all conditions. I feel crap today how can I walk towards Allah I feel happy today how can I walk towards Allah I feel a heavy emotion How can I walk towards Allah? Because Allah is Al-Basit and he's Al-Qabid, right? Like those are two of his names. He's Al-Basit meaning like he's the one that expands the heart. He's the one who gives abundantly internally and externally. But he's also Al-Qabid. He's the one who withholds, constricts, Qabd. It means it comes from the word like to constrict or to hold something. Um, So sometimes Allah is going to be Al-Basit with your heart. You're going to feel like, wow, I, I wish I could feel like this forever. And I feel so close to Allah. But you know what? That's not that's not the destination. The spiritual high is not what we're seeking. Other days, you're going to feel that Allah al with your heart. And that's a test because in that moment, you prove your sincerity. Are you worshipping the spiritual high or are you worshipping Allah? So it's about doing the work, you know, and that's what, like, that's really what the whole program, the God Me program is about, how to build that muscle, to cultivate a heart because it's so necessary. And we don't realize how many times we're just worshipping other things other than Allah, our emotions, our... Uh, what Allah gives us what he withholds from us you know so walk towards Allah in all your conditions
0: that's beautiful thank you for that and we have uh, a few more I want that I'm going to dive into inshallah as well rapid fire style so from sister Iqra and she's like how is it how much or how important is it to memorize Quran and hadith to strengthen our spiritual and mental health that's a really good question I want to get an answer on that feedback on that
1: I think that, of course, reading Quran has its benefits, you know, the Quran itself is is a form of, you know, opening the heart, a form of shifting the mind, a form of, you know, aligning you as well. But we have to have a connection to what we're learning. And this is a thing, like, do you go to the Quran with just your mind or do you go to it with your heart? If you go with your mind, you're going to read it and be like, I read this before. Or, I, I, you know, when you go with your heart, it's like an ocean, like you're going to get something out of it, but connect it to be present with it, be present. There's so many factors going on when you're reading Quran that can promote your mental health. For example, when you read Quran, I want you to imagine that Allah's talking to you. Like before you read the Quran, I want you to just, okay, even do a form of dua. Ya Allah, please help me read the words that will speak to me, they will speak to what my heart is going through. And just take a moment to remind yourself that this is Allah speaking to you, to you, not to just the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, not to the people of that time, no, to you, your heart. And how many of us have that connection that when I open the Qur'an, I am actually feeling like Allah speaking to me. And this is your book. Like if someone you love gave you a bunch of letters to hold on to, you're going to read those over and over again because you love that person and you want to, you know, be reminded of their love. The Qur'an is 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 Allah's love for you. And so... um There's so many mental components there. Allah seeing you, Allah seeing you as you're reading, Allah speaking to you, feeling like you are heard, feeling like you are seen. So many things that we look for from other people that we can get from with Allah. So yeah, I think reading the Quran and having connection to what we're reading can be tremendously beneficial.
0: Yeah, and I completely agree. And I think even more important than just memorizing for the sake of memorizing is what you mentioned of building up that connection and really implementing the practice of reading it in a way where you're visualizing and you're getting into that state where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking to you and I think that is more powerful and more important than just memorization of well, course depending on what your goals are if you want to memorize the Quran for this for the sake of yeah. memorizing the Quran then please go ahead and do, do that but I think mm-hmm. the connection to what you're reading and the meaning behind it is even more important and, and yeah. that's really what we should get out of it yeah and I agree with that thank you for that uh, we got a few more, if, you, if you're if you okay with that. We're going to shoot no, a few sorry. more at you, doctor. All right, so these are rapid fire <laughs> style because we got a lot coming in, mashallah. So the, the comments are just absolutely on fire right now. People are just sending in questions left and right. So we're going to try to get to as many as possible. Uh, if we don't get your question, guys, um, we'll try to answer it after the podcast, inshallah, and maybe have Marwa go through a few of them, but we'll try to get to as many as possible. Uh, we'll do a few more right now. So uh, we have one from... Uh, Sister Juman, and she's, what is the Western concept of, oh, oh, sorry, the Western concept of intelligence versus the Islamic concept of the heart? Do you think that the field emotional intelligence somehow manages to marry the two and elevate emotions and intuition, which is of the heart, to a field of practice? So emotional intelligence, does it marry the concept of intelligence with the Islamic concept of the heart, emotional intelligence?
1: So I think there there's some overlap there but you know with emotional intelligence is about understanding emotions and understanding like and how, how to perceive them and how to interact with them within yourself and with others right so from an islamic psychological perspective i don't view the heart as necessarily being the only source of our emotions I believe that emotions, and I teach this in the heart over mind, the ego approach, is that emotions are states. You can have a thought that can help trigger an emotion. Correct. So your emotion could be from your mind, right? Um, your, your your nefs, your nefs can trigger certain emotion. If your nefs want something, if your nefs is, if you're leading from your nefs, that can produce certain emotions. For example, you could be angry, right? That anger could be rooted in your nefs. Right, your desire to be comfortable, your desire to just you know that pleasure seeking part of yourself, right, that only wants comfort, doesn't want to be agitated. But anger can sprout from there or could sprout for from your heart, anger for Allah, for example. You could be angry for the sake of Allah, that's more, um, that is more, it's not a wrong kind of anger, right? Um, so I think that. It, it, there is overlap there, but this is this is such a it's it's a really cool question, but it's so complex. But I can <laughs> say that like it, it there is overlap there, but I don't necessarily associate emotions entirely with the heart.
0: Okay, interesting. I like that answer. And uh, we got a few more guys. So I know I know we're going through these quickly, but it's to get to as many of your questions as possible, inshallah. So we got a few more. Let me go through another one from Sister farzana and she asks, uh, "Can I ask about the concept of family causing anxiety?" And one moving away from them as they don't respect boundaries, but they threaten to not have our sins forgiven because family ties have been cut. So they're kind of using that uh, religious uh, backing to say that, you know, you can't really get away from us. So it's, it's a very tricky situation, but I'd love to get your opinion on that.
1: Yeah, I'm just reading it one more time. Sorry.
0: Sure. So can I ask the concept of family causing anxiety and moving away from them? So moving away from a family that's causing you anxiety because they don't respect your boundaries, but then they're the threatening that you know your sins won't be forgiven or that you're cutting family ties, yeah. essentially.
1: You know, I always have a hard time with these questions because with these kind of questions because I a context is so important here, right? 100%. And I'm very sensitive to saying it's okay to keep the ties broken without knowing the context because I know Salat al-Raham and ties of kinship is so important. What I will say a general thing, which is um there is a way to keep the ties of kinship without hurting yourself in the process. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, And you have to find that level that works for you, given your situation, and Allah knows your situation best. So make the intention for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first that your intention is not to cut ties, but to protect your boundaries and to protect yourself mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Um, Because... Ties of kinship, people, people skew Islam so much. They make ties of kinship means that you have to answer the phone every day, that you have to go to every gathering, that you have to. Ties of kinship is maintaining a sila, a a, a link, right? Mm-hmm. Maintaining, don't break that link, even if it's as thin as a hair. Don't break that link so even if that's you calling because again it's about your heart where is your heart with allah just make the intentions allah ya allah i don't intend to break the the to displease you you know but help me have a ties with my family that is serving of me you know serving of my you know spiritual wellness my mental and emotional wellness because that's important too allah doesn't want you to have anxiety you know all the time so at the same time you know find the boundary that works for you don't let other people utilize the deen to like um to guilt you to shame you you know Um, keep your priority with Allah let him he knows your concern but make him the priority and again like for for somebody who always struggles with anxiety maybe it's not always being available to every time a person calls you know um, yeah, there's so much to discuss here, but I'm trying to keep it short because I know
0: we might- <laughs> <laughs> 100%. We'll go through one one or two more, inshallah, Max, because I know we're, we're running out of time. But also, yeah, just but to no, kind of no, add, good. Yeah. awesome. And just to add to that as well, based on uh, what you said, I think that that's really one of the unfortunate byproducts of uh, how people use religion sometimes. They yeah. use it for their own benefit. And they yeah. will sometimes, you know, you'll meet someone who doesn't even practice, but then when it comes to you know uh you listen you have to uh, the wife's obligations are to do this and right. that here's the list mm-hmm. of the things you need to do and the guy doesn't yeah. even pray right but he, he memorized the wife's duties that are mentioned yeah. in the quran so it's uh it's kind of interesting and an unfortunate yeah. it's an unfortunate byproduct because islam was never meant to be used to your benefit it's meant to help you become a better person and build your connection with allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. so um completely agree with that thank you and we got a few more but i'll ask this one here from sister riz thank you for watching and joining us today and she says can you give any tips or even suggest books on how to deal with narcissistic parents from an Islamic perspective? Oh, I think that released the, the last question. Um, is, so, is there anything we can add to that? Is there anything we should add? To that? Well,
1: dealing with narcissistic parents is so such a difficult struggle. So, anybody going through that may Allah make it easy for you. Um, it is definitely a challenge um, for many people. And I think number one, it's taking your power back first and foremost by going to therapy and doing the work on yourself because that's when you learn how to take that power back. Narcissists, they want to make their victims powerless. And narcissistic parents do that to their children. So when you grow up and you feel powerless, it's because they took that power from you. They made you feel like you're this small and their voice is so so strong. And a lot of times when kids of narcissistic parents grow up, that narcissistic parent's voice is still in their head. And that takes work. So I really encourage you to go to therapy um, first and foremost, you know. Then at the same time, I mean, there isn't like, I don't know an Islamic book out there that deals specifically with narcissism from an Islamic perspective. But I do know that part of the healing process is prioritizing Allah's word, right? In Islam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sometimes refers to himself as ilah and sometimes he refers to himself as rab, right? And ilah is usually in terms of like worship, like the one we worship. Rab is al alameen, the one who is like the caretaker, the one who provides, the one, you know, different different aspects. But in, it's interesting because in the Arabic language, what do we call parents? We call them al bayt, right? They are the caretakers of the house. And so a lot of times, many of our work is learning how to, make Allah, our He is our ultimate Rabb, but to prioritize Him being our Rabb over our parents and getting what we didn't get from our parents through Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if you felt like you weren't loved, you have Al-Wadud, right? And you, you have the one who's most loving. So try to, as you're doing therapy, as you're healing from that, as you're taking your power back, also remind yourself of who Allah is, right? Because the more that you remember, uh, the more that Allah's voice becomes powerful, the less that parent's voice becomes, right? And so it's working both ways, doing the work, healing, because that requires healing, just as you would have any wound, you'd go and you'd get healing, right? This requires healing, narcissistic, growing up with a narcissistic parent causes wounding. And so do the work on yourself, but also prioritize Allah's words and promises, you know, so that they can be stronger within you over your, your parent.
0: Wow, that's, this is like one of the best answers we've ever gone to that question on this podcast to be honest with you because it's been asked before these situations have been asked before and I think the bringing that back to mm-hmm. the the attributes of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala and how they if the, even if they're not found in the people around us there's always they're always found in Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala and we can yeah. we can pull from that and and yeah. and leverage that and I think that concept is just absolutely beautiful thank you for sharing that honestly it, that, that touched me on a different level and we have one comment saying that one of one of the viewers is saying that like it beautifully beautifully said i'm crying so i mean yeah. i feel you on that so like this is oh, definitely a so powerful interview. <laughs> <for> that. That. <laughs> and we'll do one more inshallah one more question guys yeah. um and we have a few here so uh this question is is beautiful and i want to share that and get your opinion on it and it's mm-hmm. how important is it to let go of uh, people, moments, or events that hurt our mind and heart? How how important is it to practice forgiveness to people and just kind of let go?
1: I think a lot of times when we start to heal, we're so fixated on how we're going to present ourselves to the people. I need Mm -hmm. to forgive. I need to forgive. I need to forgive. It's about like a lot of times we don't realize it's more about our image in front of the people than actually just taking your time with your own healing. Um, You know, Forgiveness has to be real. It's not about you saying, I forgive, I forgive, just so we can appear righteous and spiritual and religious, right? No, it's about you actually letting it go in your heart. And it's more so about your heart's reality than what you actually are doing. For example, if you're saying, I forgive, but then you go to bed with a heart that has grudges and you feel like so constricted, you really haven't forgiven, right? It's it's. So what's the priority then? The heart that you go to bed with, or are you just saying, I forgive? Right. So a lot of times we fixate so much on how we're going to present ourselves more than the actual experience. Take your time with your healing. That's the most important thing. And know that forgiving others isn't about going back and being at the same level of a relationship with those people. It's about you making sure that you have released that grudge in your heart. It's about your inner world, your heart. Again, back to this part within you is the most important part, you know? So how are you taking care of this part? How are you um, you know, letting go of these things within you? And so it takes time. First, you have to ask yourself, why was this experience so painful? Turning inward, assessing what is causing you the pain. A lot of times we don't know what's causing us the pain. What is so hurtful about this that you can't let go of? And asking the right questions, because you you can't release something if you don't know what you're releasing. You know, what aspect of pain, what pain are you releasing exactly? So turning inward, asking the right questions, reflecting, turning to Allah, asking him for help, you know, having these difficult emotions to deal with is not the harm is not the sin it's how we deal with them it's bringing them to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala don't let them become your destination because that's what makes people consumed let them be like your the means to Allah like the vehicle you know
0: 100% thank you for that Dr. Mawa honestly the answers you've given us today not only to the audience but to myself have been absolutely phenomenal and have personally for me I've gotten so much out of this that I can literally after this podcast take home and apply in my Mm -hmm. life to have a better connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Mm -hmm. keep in mind certain practices that will be that I'll be able to leverage to Mm -hmm. have that personal growth and transformation that you help people achieve. And Mm -hmm. it's amazing because we spent about an hour on this podcast. And through this hour, I mean if you just go through the comments, people have been, you know, achieving insights or unlocking insights that are absolutely phenomenal. And if we just go through the comments and the people that are saying, you know, just how much they're appreciating what you've shared today is absolutely amazing. So I wanted to just share my gratitude to you first and foremost, and then also share, you know, that this is a testament to mashallah, the knowledge that you have and your ability to help others. And so I hope that people who have listened to this and have been impacted in some way or can resonate with what you're saying and feel like they could benefit from connecting with you and working with you on a deeper level go Mm -hmm. ahead and do that and what's the best way for them to do that to connect with you to join one of your programs or to work with you on a deeper level
1: um so i I offer courses and programs but the i mean the most comprehensive way to really do this work is the god in me program so i offer courses that are on specific topics like sacred self-love anxiety um but if you are it depends on what you're looking for and what you're ready to do. I I really am really big on, like, is your heart invested in this? Because I want people to bring hearts that are ready to do this work, you know? Um, And so if you're a person who's sitting here and you're thinking – man, I I really want to start investing in in my heart and and making this the priority because then this, if I work on this, it's going to shape everything else in my life. And I'm ready to do that. And you see that and you see that benefit. Then I encourage you to check out the God in Me program because it's the most long-term comprehensive program. It's a decade worth of prep for it. And um, it has like, it's a 21 week program. And you go through the steps that I've designed to let you essentially lead to that spiritual, mental, and emotional transformation. But if you're looking for something that is just a little bit like you just want some more knowledge, you want some more, you know, something specific, check out the courses. You can also get a plus membership to the Home Institute Online School with a monthly fee and access all the courses and our monthly online classes. So there's many options. If you go to thehomeinstitute.org, you can um, check them out, inshallah.
0: Beautiful. You heard it here, guys. Thehomeinstitute.org. We dropped the link in the comments. We'll also make sure to put it in the description, no matter where you're watching or listening to whether it's YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, and of course, as always, guys, make sure that you subscribe, rate the podcast, and follow us for more amazing interviews like this one here. And again, Dr. Marwa, I want to thank you for joining us today. It was an absolutely just a pleasure to have you and i hopefully will have you again in the future inshallah
1: i'm very honored to be here i I, I enjoyed this discussion and i hope that it was a benefit to anyone who viewed it inshallah so thank you so much for having me
0: it was a pleasure thank you guys for listening again make sure to subscribe and follow us and if you haven't joined our group already make sure to join it the link will be in the comments and description and we'll see you next week for another powerful interview take care guys assalamualaikum assalamualaikum